This is a Wild Conversation. Hi, I'm Callum, a zookeeper at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. And I'm Ashley Wysick, also a keeper here at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. And today we'll be talking about recently extinct species. Oh, such a sad topic, yeah. but a very interesting one. <laughs> Absolutely. It's yeah. crazy to think some of the species we've lost in recent years. Um, and I mean, looking at the world, um, uh, history recently can be quite far away. You know, we lost our saber-toothed cats like just 10,000 years ago, um, which feels like a long time, but that, in terms of the world, that is a really short amount of time. See, but the, there's also like animals that have gone extinct within our lifetime mm. or even like less than 100 years ago, you know? And it's nuts because, I don't know, there's some animals that I have known about my whole life. And then when I find out when they went extinct, it blows my mind because it was so close to me being able to actually see one, you know? Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's devastating. And mm. I don't, it's just, it's even more reason why we should be protecting the species we have now, because I can't imagine someone else feeling that way about tigers, you know? Could you imagine? Absolutely. We've lost so many species that um, you can't really even imagine what, how it would move. Or mm. what it would look like or what its behaviors are and even species alive today we don't fully grasp their life cycles yeah but some of these species that disappeared you will never know um, about their unique behaviors or what makes them special is there a particularly recently uh, extinct species that you're really fond of i do have a favorite extinct species which is a really weird thing to say and what's that it's the, how do you pronounce it? It's like thylacine. Oh, was, yeah. Yeah, the Tasmanian tiger. They're so cool and so sad that I don't get to see one one day. They went extinct in 1936. Jeez. Yeah, less than 100 years ago. And the sad thing is, is that it's important for us to protect these species, to implement, like, protections for them, make it so that people aren't hunting them as much. Did you know that protection, the... They actually, the government actually uh, basically put in the whatever, I can't remember what it's called, made them a protect, protected species uh, 59 days before the last one died. Oh, man. They protected the species and there was only one known member left. It was too late. Yeah. You know? Literally and literally 59 days later. I think his name was Benjamin, passed away. I've, I've seen that. That's, yeah. that's the only footage we have, like camera footage of mm -hmm. one of those animals. And it's, it's an animal in the zoo, yeah. yawning, moving around slightly, black and white. They're so cool. I had um, in university, I took one of my like, what are they called? Fluff courses or like extra courses. When okay. you're taking your university classes, I took a painting class. And one of my major paintings for it was of a thylacine. Really? Like imagining what it would have looked like. Cool. It's Ugh. it's so sad because it's like it's a so marsupial right? carnivore, right? That looks just like a wolf, yeah, with the stripes of a tiger. And they apparently like what's it called? Very long time ago, used to cover like all of Australia. Oh yeah. But I think in the the last like two hundred, three hundred years, they had only really been found in New Guinea and Tasmania. I don't know why I forgot. It's called the Tasmanian tiger. Yeah, definitely Tasmania. <laughs> and Tasmania, right? So, and there's lots of reports of people apparently nowadays reporting that they've seen them. Yeah. But it's never been proven, right? So I hope that we're wrong, <laughs> you know? 
They're probably one of the coolest animals I've ever learned about. Absolutely. It's just nothing. There was nothing and there is nothing close to them, except maybe the Tasmanian devil. And that's still a huge margin. Their mouth was insane, too. Like, if you've seen the ones of them yawning and stuff, they had a huge gape. They could open their mouth nearly, like, 90 degrees. Like, just is nuts. Wow. You mean 180, not 90. Or yeah, over over ninety degrees. Sorry, <laughs> I can't. I can't remember if it was. I don't think it was one hundred and eighty. But I know it was a, over ninety degrees, which oh, okay. is which is insane. Like when you really think about it, because it would basically be like if I opened my mouth, my jaw actually facing directly down towards the ground. Yeah, that would actually no, be pretty it's, amazing. It's, yeah. it's terrifying and amazing and fascinating and yeah, I don't know. I love them. Very sad that we lost them, and uh, I'm hopeful. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I think they are extinct. I want to believe that there's one or two still out there in the wild. Oh, yeah, I know definitely. they're kind of a cryptid right now. There's just like um, a little voice in the back of my head. It's like, we have a small amount of hope. Exactly. <laughs> and there have been cases where extinct species have been refound, which is which pretty is good. Amazing. And then a captive breeding program initiated like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a bit of, uh, of a chance to bring the species back. And just because they're getting close to extinction does not mean that they are doomed. And just because they're extinct in the wild does not mean that they are doomed, right? Because I think the Pear David's deer, yep. one of the deers in your, I think we've actually talked about it before, you know, they dwindled down to only about 100 individuals, which when you're a herd species is incredibly small, hmm. right? But the the breeding programs that they established and they were really on point on making sure that the genetic diversity, you know, was maintained, they've made a huge comeback. They're found in zoos all over the world, including ours. Yeah. <laughs> Although we are, ours are, we've always been very, we've got the old, old ones. We're a retirement facility sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, regarding other re- recently extinct species, um, there's one I, I definitely worth mentioning. Have you heard of the uh, Caribbean monk seal? I've heard... Yes, I believe. But continue. I, I know we had, like, including that one, we had mm-hmm. three species of monk seal. The Mediterranean one, uh, which is critically endangered right now, or endangered. The Hawaiian monk seal, again, I think at the very least endangered. Um, and then the Caribbean monk seal. And okay. this is a prime example of how island species are super vulnerable um, to um, the actions of mankind because they have no predatory um defense behaviors or mechanisms they haul up on the beach and they do not recognize or did not recognize people as a threat or an invasive species as a threat um and these guys were hunted in the hundreds by um sugarcane uh plantain um farmers for their oil to work as candlelight for example and unfortunately they were wiped out they're um hunted extensively and uh, their food sources were taken away as well, over-harvested. And unfortunately, the Caribbean monk seal has disappeared and is now extinct. Which is so sad. And it, it, I don't know. It does, it really does suck. And one of the big things we need to remember is moderation, you know? Hmm. Understand that sometimes certain animals or certain things or certain plants, you know, we need or they are really, really, really helpful. But it's it's establishing that balance, you know, because once they're gone, they're gone. There's no going back, you know. Uh, One of the other ones that makes me very sad is quagga. Have you ever heard of a quagga? 
Uh, I think so, yes. Yeah, they're like, they're uh, an African equine. Okay. Right? So they were kind of like a zebra in the fact that they were striped, but they're more like a reddish orange color, and they're only striped in the first half of their body. They're super cool animals. Very interesting, but they were overhunted, mainly because of, uh, I think it was like people who are farming in certain areas found them as pests because they would they would compete with their livestock for food you know and they're gone now beautiful animals yeah and so it's a real tragedy like to lose them because it's you know it's kind of on a morbid note it's hard to comprehend losing something forever Mm -hmm. we're always used to breaking things and being able to fix it or undo it or delete it and remake it or, or just go to it. the store and get another one exactly <laughs> you can't you can't do with, any, with a species an entire species exactly especially right? when it's gone there's no nothing no tissue samples left no nothing um and sometimes that species can have serious serious uh that species being gone can have serious impacts on the ecosystem oh 100 um especially if it's a keystone species mm. right like they're called keystone species for a reason because they are a key to keep maintaining the environment, you know? Oh, absolutely. They influence most of the species in the ecosystem mm-hmm. and they influence how those species interact with their environment, mm-hmm. which can, you know, completely um, destroy uh, that environment yeah. and the species that live in it if they're not present. Well, and if you, if you were to lose all of your predators in an environment... Usually, what ends up happening is your your um, prey animals all basically like explode with their numbers, and then they become too many for the environment that they're on, and they destroy. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same with us. The animals do the same thing. They over they uh, overuse oh, the resources if left unhinged. <laughs> that's a lesson we learned from wolves. Yes, um, I believe they were wiped out uh, from the United States. I think completely. Um, at one point until they realized um, that without the wolves around, there was nothing to control the deer population. Oh my gosh, I remember this. It was a famous biologist. Aldo right? Leopold? I am not going to confirm because I have an awful memory uh, with certain things, especially names. Fair uh, enough. But yeah, he was an avid wildlife, like he loved wildlife and he was also an avid hunter. And he believed that the, I think it was that the wolves, if they got rid of the wolves, it would basically create way better uh, of a hunting environment for Mm -hmm. them, right? But then when they got rid of the wolves, all of a sudden the deer population like skyrocketed. They started destroying, eating all the plants because there's, they're like basically destroying the vegetation. Um, The edges of like the streams and rivers were starting to just start eroding because there's nothing holding them together. And the ecosystem was incredibly damaged. I think he was actually one of the ones who started basically, hey, predators are actually very important to our ecosystems. You know, I have made a mistake. Yeah. (laughs) Taking it back. I remember a quote from one of his books um, that goes that just as a deer fears the howl of a wolf, um, so does the mountain fear the uh, crunching and footsteps of its deer. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, oh. that's how he would quote it for like how it affects the environment. That's so interesting. I, whatever book that is, I need to read it. Definitely. <laughs> I think it's a Sand County Alamac. Oh, okay. Um, or Keepers of the Cogs. Um, 
But uh, luckily for them, even though wolves were, we would call this locally extinct from parts of North America, there were still wolf populations in Canada and they were mm-hmm. able to fly individuals down and re- release them in Yellowstone National Park, yeah. which allowed for the wolf to take its part as a keystone species. Yeah, it's, it's, and that's one of the really important things for breeding programs, you know? Mm. If you have certain animals that suddenly their numbers just start to plummet, we have genetic reserves in zoos and sanctuaries that we can reestablish, you know? I think that happened, oh, oh my gosh. My memory is completely blanking, but that did happen moderately recently. I think in the last 10 years where there was an island species and there was some kind of a catastrophe, a natural disaster that wiped out the entire species. But luckily they were still in zoological facilities mm-hmm. and were able to re- be re-released. I can't remember what they were called. I, you know what? It, it happened <laughs> to an animal. <laughs> Fair enough. To an animal, got to look that yeah, up later on. My brain has failed me. <laughs> I <laughs> no, don't know, man. I, uh, I obviously don't do enough homework for this. I mean, other other recently extinct species that we could talk about um, include. Um, have you heard of the Stella sea cow? Yes. I can't. They were discovered by Europeans. Um, I think within 15 or a really ridiculous short amount of time or 30 years of its discovery it was wiped out extinction (sighs) super easy to hunt uh and they were only found off of uh, a few islands and unfortunately they were overhunted again to extinction and all that remains of them today are um bones on on the beaches of those islands that's so sad Mm. Well, and I think they're also saying that, you know, species that we haven't even discovered yet are going extinct because of the eradication of certain areas and like destructions of rainforests, you know, there are certain animals that live in very, very small areas, you know, their entire population will be these three trees or less, you know, Mm. especially if you're getting into areas like um, amphibians and insects and so which sometimes we really overlook but insects are so important to the ecosystem as well if we were to lose all of them if we were to lose our um detrivores you know the ones who break down dead material like rotting logs and our forests would just be completely overrun by just debris absolutely know, natural debris and the pollinators the ones that allow us to get fruit Um, the uh, controls of pest species such as spiders or centipedes for Mm -hmm. example uh, it's impossible to calculate just how much money they save us or help us um, by just doing what they do naturally and we might not find out just how important they are until it's too late and then what do you do right Mm. there's nothing you can do that's why it's so important for us to just do what we can while we can you know even just making small adjustments to how we live our lives, you know, to try and protect animals. You see a spider, maybe don't punch it, you know, (laughs) give it a chance, get a cup and a piece of paper and transfer her somewhere where you're more comfortable. I actually love spiders because they eat mosquitoes. Yeah, you can't go right. We have a saying in the UK, it's if you want to live and thrive, let a spider run alive. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's a nice saying. I like that one. Definitely. See, my mom was the kind of person who'd like scream and stand on a chair. 
<laughs> but I mean, yeah, the um, a lot of research has gone into the use of pesticides versus the use of natural controls. Mm-hmm. Pesticides kill the pests, but they also kill the animals, the insects that eat the pests. And yeah. um, as a result, you wipe out that um, predator, and then the pests get resistant to the pesticide, and, and they really what have you done? Load <laughs> way worse than they were ever before. And there's wow. no predator around to... Uh, Prime to... examples, DDT. Yeah. Oh, 100%. You know, you, eradic- you, you are doing this to eradicate one species and you're accidentally eradicating like a dozen others that actually would be very helpful to you, you know? I think one of the ones that they've actually started doing too to try and reduce populations of pests is actually uh, flooding the system with infertile individuals. I think they were doing that with mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. They're actually um, basically sterilizing a whole bunch of male mosquitoes and then releasing them over the summer when they're or when they're supposed to be breeding, right? So then there's uh, way too much competition for the ones who actually can breed successfully. And so then the next season, after all those mosquitoes have passed away, you have less. You know, it's it's an easier way to actually control. And you're just like adding a whole bunch of food for the birds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it's not causing um, serious problems for the ecosystem. Yeah, Like no. a pesticide would or a chemical. Exactly. Um, back on the topic of uh, recently extinct species, I know Hawaii has lost a lot of its uh, native bird population due to um, the introduction of mosquitoes that, carry, oh, that were carrying malaria. They had avian form of malaria. Oh. Um, and invasives. A big one that often happens is we introduce invasive species to islands or new lands with the idea that they'll do something for us. So in this case, there's multiple species that were released in Hawaii, including yeah. barn owls, um, oh. with the idea that they'll eat the rats and mice in the sugarcane fields, or the um, mongoose that will eat the rats and mice in the sugarcane fields. See- but <laughs> I, I love that people do this. They'll, like, get an animal to do this. Like, what are you going to do? Tell him he's only allowed to eat this one thing or go to this one place? Like, how are you going to control that? That is a living, sentient creature. It's going to do what it wants. Exactly. <laughs> and rats and mice have evolved with predators. They have natural uh, avoidance um, uh, instincts, whereas something that has lived on an island, like, people don't realize this, but if you don't need something in nature... Over time, yeah. you evolve not to have it. If you're, you're a 100%. flying bird and you end up on an island and there's no predators and there's food, you become flightless eventually like you dodos. the kiwi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the kiwi, the dodo, the, the moa bird. Yeah. Um, a moa bird went extinct recently. Uh, um, they were overhunted. Uh, another species, for example, that were overhunted. Mm-hmm. Um, New Zealand is a definitely a country that has experienced... Um, some serious problems due to the introduction of stoats um, and feral cats, for example. Um, Have you ever heard of the kakapo? Yes, I have seen videos. They are so funny. I love them. Oh, they are teetering on the edge. There is massive conservation efforts going into protecting them, Um, but they are the heaviest parrot, ground-dwelling parrot, so that they, I don't think they can fly. They're flightless um, in the world. And uh, they are so cool. 
Uh, have you seen that one video of the researcher who goes out into the wild and the one cameraman, the bird decides he loves <laughs> yes. and tries to mate with him? I saw that. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> They're so such cool birds. I love them. And it would be devastating if we lost them, you know? Absolutely. Ugh. This topic is just so... Mm. I mean, sad. there is hope. Yes. Sometimes species that have been classified as extinct are luckily refound. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the black-footed ferret, for example, yeah. often used as an example of a species coming back from the brink. Yeah. They, um, most of their diet consists of prairie dogs, right? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, due to the introduction of plague, which prairie dogs get, bear in mind to anyone, if you ever... I would stay away from prairie dogs. Um, <laughs> They're going to give you the fleas, bubonic plague. Because they, they are a source, and there's usually signs yeah. to warn of areas that have the infection. Of course. But they also, uh, the black-footed ferrets suffered from canine distemper and, of course, the eradication of their prey species. Yeah. And they were classified as extinct in 1979. But then, oh. two years later, a dog brought a present to its owner on a ranch land which was a dead black-footed ferret. Oh. And researchers ran in, they found a population. The population almost got wiped out by another break of canine distemper. They managed to save 18 individuals to do captive breeding programs. So they were extinct in the wild now officially, but they still had some individuals. Yeah. Of those individuals, about seven, I think, were able to reproduce and produce offspring. And now there is, although not a very genetically diverse, there is a large captive breeding program one of which is happening at toronto zoo oh yeah um and they have released the black-footed ferrets into several sites including an attempt uh in saskatchewan that's exciting on the prairie lands oh, unfortunately so the one in saskatchewan i think died out due to another oh. break of canine distemper and they're doing some research before they do another release attempt in canada but there is hope yeah there is no hope. of course and they are so lucky that that rancher actually was like hmm you know yeah you know how many <laughs> i don't know i grew up around a lot of ranching type people and they'd just be like <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever yeah. the fact that that rancher recognized it rancher rancher right sorry <laughs> rancher recognized it and contacted the appropriate authorities yeah probably saved the species yeah in we fact the dog's name is mentioned on the paper its name is shell Oh I think God. so. The dog is very famous too. Uh, the dog should get a medal. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one hell of a uh, conservation fetch right there. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, that's so good. Um, well, and one of the other ones is um, it's I don't know. It makes me sad. Is the northern white rhino? Hmm? You know, we're down to just the northern white rhino. We're down to just the two females. Oh. Right. They're. They're basically extinct, and there's been a lot of talk about genetically preserving them. They, but they probably will not be coming back as um, a separate species, you know. But they're thinking that they might be able to gen preserve that their remarkable genetics within the southern white rhinoceros. And the southern white rhinoceros, their I don't know, I guess you'd call them cousins, are actually doing remarkably well. They at one point uh, dwindled down to only 200 individuals, and now they're up to 20,000 throughout the world. Mm -hmm. Like They have made a comeback, which is super exciting because most rhino species are endangered or critically endangered. These guys are actually vulnerable. Which that's good. Usually that's, isn't yeah. exciting, but it is in this case, you know? Yeah, if you went from endangered to vulnerable, that's, you know, that's great. It's yeah. a good step up. I mean, I think 
for a, anyone who loves animals or is in the field of conservation and you find out that they've rediscovered a population of a species believed to be extinct, it's kind of like, have you ever seen a Christmas carol? Whether you watch the Muppet version or the, the one with Scrooge getting visited by the free ghosts oh, okay, of, okay, of okay. past, present. I was getting present. totally mixed up with something else. Continue. <laughs> you know that, that bit where it's like the ghost of future and it's really down, depressing. Is this my future? Yeah. Please, does this have to happen? And then he wakes up in his bed and he can change things. And it doesn't have to be like this. Exactly. Yes. That's what I think it's like when uh, we have that opportunity yes. to bring a species back from the brink or extinction, to manage it, to restore, protect its habitat, undo yeah. the damage that is most likely be done by us. Yeah. Um, and then we all squeal like children on Christmas. <laughs> yes. It, it, it's funny you said preserve the genetics inside the southern white rhino. Yeah. Because technically, human beings have done that with an extinct species of human. What? Yeah. What? Get, get ready to have your mind blown, right? It's already gone. <laughs> I don't... What? <laughs> According to uh, geneticists, we contain, I think, roughly 1% to 4%, something, a really small amount of Neanderthal DNA oh inside gosh. of us. Oh, my gosh. Yeah? I actually kind of remotely knew this because my mom did it, 23 and me or 20. Yeah, the like, and we are very Neanderthal. Really? Yeah. So then that's a, an extinct human species that we, our ancestors, crossbred with. And although Neanderthals as a whole are extinct, they're also technically alive within us because Ooh, of crossbreeding between it our It really messes with my brain, you calling, like, crossbreeding people. I don't know why. Like, that just... And I understand. We're animals. But, you know, you just have that... Okay. It's just my something brain to is, think about. No, I'm going to have to talk. I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm going to need, like, a really cold water after this. <laughs> It's just definitely something to think about. Um, but on to uh, a question that we received. <gasps> Our first question. Oh, yeah. So we had someone email us and ask us, what are, is our favorite animal to work with? Okay, I was doing a happy dance, and now I'm done, because that is the hardest question. <laughs> Why is the first question the hardest question? My favorite animal to work with. You go first. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> yeah, well, so I can one-up you. you honestly, because I work with my animals every day, I bond with them. And mm -hmm. there are many I, I like for different reasons. If I was to say a favorite on a, a reason I can properly, you know, properly get into or explain, it'd probably be the red pandas. And Not even surprised. <laughs> the reason being is I'm able to do training with them um, in order to get them better prepared for vet checks or um, to move them in case of an, uh, a uh, emergency situation. So I do target training with the red pandas and crate training so I can get them in the crates, shut the door, open it, no stress, move the red pandas, no stress, and right now station training. And I'm hoping, hoping to be able to improve that to um, training where they get up on a structure like other zoos have done and we can perform ultrasounds or check on their teeth or the bottom of their paws, for example, for proper really good health checks that would not involve sedating an animal, um, which would be great. And the reason that I think they're my favorite is because I've been able to see them or interact with them and see how they learn from their training, how they've improved. Yeah. So it's, it's the most interactive animal I have um, on my route. It sounds to me 
like they're providing you with a lot of job satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the very, very therapeutic. Right. Oh, so good. <laughs> that is like the hardest question for me. I love every single one of my animals. You can ask anyone. I mean, um, be careful of your answer because I will <laughs> let your animals know. <laughs> um, well, we have like, there's, I know a few people who come and they'll take photos and videos of stuff and this one friend of mine has a few videos and you can hear me yelling in the background because the animal's like interacting with the enrichment. I'm just like, yes, <laughs> I get so excited. Oh, I mean, my, f my favorite is the mean ones. Oh yeah. The ones that hate you, the ones that you have to like work for, like once they know you, they'll interact with you, but they don't interact with anyone else. It's so rewarding to like get, get to that animal and have them appreciate you. Mm -hmm. Like Tika, my cheetah, she kind of, mm, whatever. If you are not here with food, I really don't care. I'm going to go sit in the sun and ignore you. But she's gotten to a point now where in the morning I come and say, hi, Tika, Tika. And she, I can hear her purr, you know, she'll purr for me every morning. Really? It's so cute. <sighs> I hear only a few ca uh, big cats are able to purr. Well, yeah, it has to do with the, um, the size of their vocal cords. So when they get too big, they actually can no longer purr, but they can roar. The smaller cats with the smaller voice boxes can't uh, roar, but they can purr. So it's kind of one or the other. I think cougars can also purr. Huh. My cougars don't purr for me. So <laughs> I also love them. Uh, that is such a hard question. No, they're all my favorite. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't commit to that. It's totally fair. That's a very good answer. I think your animals will be satisfied with that. Or okay. they'll all be equally upset what <laughs> yeah they're just they're so gorgeous that is a good question but it's such a hard one definitely <sighs> i totally understand that well uh this has been a really nice conversation uh mm -hmm. i know it's been a bit morbid but there is hope for recently extinct species mm -hmm. um i'd love to one day be able to talk about cloning if you're into Ooh. that controversy oh i'm gonna have to do my homework <laughs> oh my gosh but if anyone has any questions for us or concerns or wants to know about another recently extinct species, don't hesitate to contact us at podcast at gvz.com. I'm Callum. And I'm Ashley Wysick. And this has been A, a Wild, wild conversation. conversation.